This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome to Unstoppable today. We have Finian Kelly as the CEO of $2 million companies in the financial industry. Finian Kelly is the creator and chief visionary officer of Intentionality, a business which helps people to be purposeful and aligned in their belief, thoughts, and behaviors so they can help people feel more love in their life. He's made an appearance as a financial expert on Sky News, ABC's, the 10's morning shows. He's been on everything, ladies and gentlemen, smart company, business insider Forbes. However, his biggest achievements to date was being featured on the National Geographic documentary Undercover Angel, which I find very interesting. Uh, if you look at him right now, he does look like an undercover angel. You can't tell for the hat. He, uh, where he was actually dropped into an underprivileged community to find out their core issues, build trust, and come up with a project, build trust and come up with a project to support their needs. He funded the entire project himself with the community leaders to form an education center in, f- oh, I'm going to fuck you, ladder. F- <laughs> <laughs> Is that, did I get that right? Fuck. <laughs> Bulgaria? How did I go, mate? Ladies uh, and gentlemen, well, please welcome to Unstoppable, Finny and Kelly. Great to have you here, mate. Oh, thanks so much. Oh, I feel like I just ate dirt on that last one there. Uh, so I had to, it took me a couple of days of filming before I could get it right. I just said it wrong so many times myself. So Fantastic. I get it. So you can empathise, mate. You've got a bit of a you got a bit of a scorecard. You got a bit of a CV here. Um, right now, you're living in Colorado. We just uh, we just connected on that. You're living in Aspen, Colorado, or sorry, just speci- more specifically, where are you? Uh, I live La- in Aspen, Lake- Colorado. Right, but you're like, in Lake Tahoe, in color in California, just having a little bit of a summer break. Yeah, right. Is that is that what the Americans call like getting away from COVID at the moment? Like, how is it over there for you in Colorado, where you normally live with everything that's going on? Yeah. It's actually pretty fine. Like okay. I think, I think the news creates a bit more drama about what's really happening in America. Uh, yep. Yes, we have numbers, but we're very large, and it's, yes, it's been a great year. It's a big country, and it's a great place to be in. Yeah, and I'm finding different areas are being affected in different ways. Some places you wouldn't yeah. even know, but um, I've got mates in Santa Monica and Venice who are like, "Wow, this is just uh, a whole nother level." But mate, it's great to have you here. You've got quite, as I said, an illustrious career. Where did it all start from you? How did you? Because you started in in the financial in the financial industry. Was it fintech specifically? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually started before that. I was an army officer, so I went to. That's right. Uh, Seventeen, you yeah, enlisted. Force Academy and and Royal Military College of Duntroon, and did just under seven years. So from seventeen to twenty four, and that's really where it began because I learned about leadership uh, at a at twenty one. I was in charge of anywhere up to 100 soldiers ranging from 17 to 55 and that's a lot of responsibility and then you're communicating to the generals and I learned a lot about that like leadership is in a very important trait and when I transitioned out I had the confidence to start a business because that's really what you're doing is is leading people. I've got to say whenever I'm recruiting someone if they're ex-military that always goes a long way for me um but out of curiosity what made you want to get into the military in the first place you don't look like like when i look at you like right now you don't look like someone who spent seven years in the military how did you end up there it's uh it's one of those stories of a mixture of ego and limited awareness so i came from tasmania and there in tasmania success is being a doctor it's effectively that's that's what you're positioned to do and my mum was a doctor my grandparents were doctors and my friends parents were all doctors and they wanted to be doctors themselves and i got accepted into medicine 
But at that time, I just knew intuitively this is not what I wanted to do. Um, I was, it was also an interesting moment with my mother when the happiness I ever saw was when I told her I got into medicine. And for a small moment, I felt that love and then resentment came in because I was like, wow, this is what I have to do to get your, yeah, your wow. uh, acknowledgement. So I was like, I've got to find another path. And during that time, I also applied a, a military pilot came to our school to speak and they said about you can go through this application process and, and that incorporated a number of free trips to Melbourne. And I was like, well, this is all right. I'll just go on that journey. And, and that year I was very aware that I wanted to create a lot of options. So in every state I applied for a different qualification. So I knew that when I'd get there, I'd have choice. And I went down that path and I got selected as a, a pilot in the military and the funny thing is I accepted medicine, but I didn't say no to the military. And then literally a week before the military was starting, we're having a party with my friends who were all doing medicine. And I just felt this sickness in me. And I was like, this is not my path. I, I can't do medicine. But unfortunately, I didn't, I shouldn't have done military either, but it was this thing <laughs> where I was like, what, what? What could be cooler? That was literally what was going yeah, through my wow. head. Is like, how can I justify this? How can I justify um, not doing medicine because it's the pinnacle? What could yeah. be cooler? And I was like, I can sell the story of being a pilot in the military, yeah. a helicopter pilot in the military. And I told my friends and went off and, wow, like at 16 years making that decision to sign onto a contract and going through that period of time just because of really ego in a weird way, that set off a, a chain of events. So that's my story. It wasn't out of passion. Did you end up becoming certified as a pilot? I got, got trained yep. and, then, and then I realized through it, it was like a long period of time of commitment where you had to sign on for another 10 yep. years. And I was like, oh, I've got to- And like, you, you did it really smart. You got quite a few degrees while you're in there, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did. So I was always, that whole idea of it was a big thing in my life was about options. How can I create yep. more options for myself? So I just kept getting qualifications. So then, for example, when I- came out and had an opportunity in finance, I already had the finance qualification, which yeah. enabled me to do that. And so what was the first thing you did when you came out? So to start with, I started trading currency and equities, my own money. And that gave me the confidence that I could support myself. And I actually just retired. I retired at 24 and went, I can do this myself. And then after about a year, I met an incredible woman who I fell in love with instantly. And she was a financial advisor. I had the qualification. She expressed how she always wanted to start this business. And I went to a conference with her and learned a little bit. And I was like, well, we should. We can do that. And we started a business six weeks after we met. And that's really how it happened. It was, a, it was more out of a just seeing her, what she wanted to do. And I was yep. like, yeah, we can definitely do that. I have this skill set. You have this skill set. And we did it. And I wanted to spend more time with her. And is that business still running today? And is this lady now your uh, wife? Uh, she, she was my <laughs> wife. Okay. <laughs> so we, were, we got married. Uh, we had nine incredible years together. We built seven businesses together. Sold That's amazing. I thought you were going to say we had nine incredible children together. And then I was going to say, hang on a second. <laughs> you look way too young. And to less, yeah. you know, stress relieved. Okay, so yeah. and and so that business is that still going today, or that is that uh, something you traded? You sold, sold, it. sold both of them. Yeah. Okay, and that's what you've done. You've basically traded a number of companies, haven't you? As you've kind of come through, you've built and sold a range of different things. What kind of stuff have you done, mate? Apart from, is it mainly in the finance? 
Yeah, so I've done a, a wealth management business. I've done an insurance business and I did a financial education business. Out of the three businesses we've sold. Yeah, we right. had another business in global recruitment, um, but she ended up taking that. And then there was a couple other businesses. And it was one of those experiences. It was great, but I've certainly learned the power of staying in your lane. I, I probably spread myself too thin thinking that I could have diversity and just, I don't know, the trying something new. And that's where I feel really at peace right now because I'm in my lane and just focused on one thing, which is intentionality. So tell us about that. What because there's a there's a lot in that word, and you know that this is one of those words. Intention is an example that even going back ten years ago, it was almost like the word intuition. It just wasn't used, you know, in a business mm-hmm. context. And now we hear, you know, all sorts of political and you know walks of fame leaders using words like intuition but also intention so what is this what is this for you what is it all about so i love that you picked up on that so i i feel the intentionality word is thrown out so much but i don't believe people actually really understand what it is they just sort of they they have an understanding and that uh, like an awareness and they and they feel like we need that but they can't really define it and what happened for me was i was on the side i've been coaching and running retreats for people of young presidents organization and entrepreneurs organization. And I've always loved it. And I'd look at all their testimonials and they just kept mentioning like, you're the intentionality guy. And after a while I was like, okay, this is, there's something to this. Uh, It's how I live my life. And, and really how I define intentionality is, is just defining how you want to feel and then taking deliberate action towards it. And what it leads to is it's, it's a way of life. It's a pathway to more peace, more joy, more love, more freedom, things that we innately want. And after a period of time, I looked at my life and I was like, okay, this seemed like, what's the connection through all of this? Like they all seemed like all the things were very different. But when I put the word intentionality above, it all made sense. I had been making decisions through this lens of intentionality. It's the way I live my life. And suddenly I felt whole. It was like the sum of the parts came together. And now that's what I'm committed to do is share this way of life with others. So we, I have a, it's, it's, it's a way of life. It's a philosophy that has seven principles of how to live intentionality. And then there's a bunch of behaviors. And then I do it with tools um, through digital programs. And I do a lot of speaking and running retreats on it, which is really, really incredible. And it just brings me so much joy. And so you said there were seven, what? Seven? Seven principles, principles. of intentionality, how, how I've defined them. Okay. So we want to talk about that for a second, but before we do, just to create, I guess, a common language, because like you said, the word intention and intentionality gets thrown out there quite, you know, quite a lot. You, you know, clearly built up a bit of a reputation as the intentionality guy or the intentional guy. When we look at the word intention, when we look at the word intentionality in the context of how you get people to behave differently, what does it mean? So what it means is, is taking control or deliberate creation of your life, being the creator of your life. So when we, when we work with intentionality, so often we've got focused on outcomes, for example, but really what is, what is it that we want to do is we want to feel a particular way and an action will lead to that feeling. But first you need to know what that feeling is. So that's why I say, okay, what is the feeling you want? And then what's the deliberate action we can take to, towards getting that? And that's, I, I believe we can do that in every moment of every day because what is life? It's a series of moments connected into each other. And 
there is only the now. There's no future of the past. The future is created from the now. And when we're in that now, we go, okay, well, what's what's the next step? What do we need to do here? And that's that's how I live a life of intentionality. There's so much science now documenting the power of intention. Um, it's it's not surprising it's becoming a lot more mainstream, especially when mm-hmm. people are using it in, the, in a range of different contexts. You know, and one of those contexts is you know where intention I think gets used a lot is in the area of you know success and 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 wealth. Um, but what I find also very interesting is you've you've created a set of principles around how to mm-hmm. do this on a daily basis. And you said that there are seven of these. Do you want to maybe yeah. rattle a few out? Yeah, I will for sure. So the number one is to experience peace and joy by learning to choose love over fear. So it's very deliberate that I say learn because we've been taught to make a lot of decisions out of fear. And when we use love as a decision, we're in possibility, we're in abundance, we're in openness, we're coming from that heart center. And that's what leads to peace and joy. Because if you make a decision out of fear, you can't ever experience peace and joy because it's a place of lack and a place of scarcity. And that's what happens with a lot of people with money. They, for example, they'll have a a goal of getting financial security. But the whole idea, if you become obsessed with security, it actually breeds insecurity because you've now created a, a construct that you believe you need something external to make you feel right when we know that it comes from an internal place. So that's, that's number one. Um, number seven, which I think is, the, the anchor, which is so important, is to connect to your true nature by practicing the power of presence. So our true nature is divine, unlimited. We are love. And the way to do that is to drop into this present moment, to have that awareness, to get out of the ego, out of the intellect and drop more into the soul and, and our divine place. And when we do that, we realize, wow, we have so much more capability or so much more potential than what we really have. And then there's some other great ones. So for example, principle number three is eliminate friction by creating freedom through self-made boundaries. Friction slows us down and it irritates us. Just the whole act. We think if we rub something, we don't want that friction in our life. And how we do that is we, we look at areas in our life and go, well, how do we, how do we, create a boundary so that when we know we come up against that, we, we're at, at, at our limit and, and we get freedom through that. So people do that with, for example, in leadership is say, you can go and make any decision up until this point. And what that does is it frees that person to just go on this path and they can go, wow, I don't have to check in. I don't have to waste time. I don't have to waste energy. I can just go into that place. And so I'm going to assume when you talk about intentionality that there's a lot of flow in this space. So mm-hmm. how much work do you do when it comes to, because it seems to me I'm, I'm hearing little threads when it comes to practicing flow within the space of living intentionally. Yeah, we do a lot. So I feel like these seven principles are actually, they're, they're, they're almost like signposts, they're anchors. They, they, they ground us and they pull us back into, oh, what do we need to be paying attention to? So when a decision comes up, I look at this and I, and I really feel like these seven uh, principles are universal truths and they apply to any situation. I can look at that and go, okay, as I'm making this decision, are they in line with these seven principles? And what that does, it gives us this state where we can just have confidence in ourselves. And that's really what, when we get into that flow state, we're in that moment and we're not, 
We're not thinking in the future, we're not thinking in the past. We've, we've created the action. We made the decision to, to get us into our state that we need to be the true creator with life, which is incredible. And the easiest way I do that is just to drop people into breath to start with, breathing, calming ourselves down, and then we can start moving forward. So I'm going to assume, you know, because I, 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 I play in some areas that aren't necessarily mainstream, but, you know, you've, you've been the CEO of a number of financial companies. You work as the president for EO for one of their chapters. And I'm going to assume at some point you get levels of resistance around some of these concepts when you're introducing them to people who are very strategic, they're very tactical, they're very P&L, um, <clears throat> There may be more of the old school, extrinsically kind of motivated um, CEOs or entrepreneurs. How do you help bring someone across who might be listening to some of this right now with a level of skepticism to start to understand that there is a power that goes beyond just like having a checklist or having necessarily mm. just a plan or, you know, having the title of a manager or, you know, being able to delegate certain aspects. How do you bring someone across to go who might be a little skeptical, who might be sitting on the fence to be able to see the value in, in living in this way? It's a great question. So we connect with stories. So I do a lot of storytelling. When I give keynotes, I, I bring in stories of how this has worked for me or how it's worked for other people that they really connect with. So if they're very, analytical, left brain focused, I'll bring in stories of people who have been that type of focus and they know that they've got really great results to give that evidence. So that's one way. We also, under each of the principles, there's a bunch of behaviors which are a bit more tangible, a bit more direct on how to actually live this way. And then there's some tools to be able to facilitate those behaviors. And all I do is invite them. I just go, you don't have to take all of this. I just invite you to just try something in your life and just see what happens. Use it as evidence-based practice. Test it, see how it works, observe it, and then align and just keep going through that process. And generally, when people do that, they start feeling it and getting the evidence and they're like, oh, maybe there's some merit to this. And a great way to do that is to get people just to, to drop into their moment and their story and through stories evoke emotions through them. And they're like, okay, that's triggering something for me. There might be some truth to this. So where would you normally start someone? And I know that everyone's going to be different and in conversations like this, it's not a one size fits all, but is there ever a low hanging piece of fruit that you offer people as a way to go, well, listen, you know, this might be a new way of living, but maybe just start here and just see what happens. And, you know, with one of those routines or traits or habits that, you know, often produces a result where people go, wow, okay, that was actually pretty impressive. If I, maybe there's more to this. Mm-hmm. So I'd say there's two things. So first is I just ask people to just share how they feel right now. And a lot of their feelings when they're truthful with that, they're not that great. They're, they might be feeling lack. They might be feeling fear. They might be feeling disconnected, whatever it is. And then I drop them into a heart coherence meditation where they can drop into their heart. They're out of their mind, out of the intellect because we've given that too much strength. And they get into them and I, I start getting them into a vision of what is it that they really want to feel. And when they start getting those feelings, and we know through science now, you can actually, uh, if you, your, your body can't tell the difference between a action, a, 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 an imagination of a feeling to actually, if you've, you're actually done that activity to feel. It releases a chemical and, and evokes that emotion for us. So we get them to drop into that place and they start seeing and feeling what that feels like. 
And that's the first bit, to show them that there's a disconnect of how they currently are and what they really want. Then I, I, that's why I have principle number one. I like it because it's very binary. It's just saying, okay, if we want more peace and joy, well, we need to make decisions through a lens of love over fear. And I love it because it's very binary. It's you're either working towards love or you're working towards fear. And in that moment, as we make a decision, I just always ask, okay, is this a decision that's going to, is out of love? It's going to bring me more love or am I a defaulting to fear? And that's, and they know it because you, you just ask yourself and your body will tell you, yep, this is love. Nope, this is fear. You just ask. The heart is such an powerful, intuitive um, machine. This is a great source of intelligence. Which if you look at Heart Math Institute, mm. they're giving us evidence now that actually this is where we need to be deciding decisions. And it will tell us before we've even finished the the question because it's intuitive. Mm. So we they get this place and they start seeing it and then they start making decisions through this lens and they start seeing the results. And if we can start, start there, because it sounds crazy, but people don't make decisions that way. No. And then they're like, oh, wow, this, this has some merit. To me, this is moving towards one of the ultimate flow states where you just get become so intentional and so deliberate um, that, yeah, it, to me, it's like probably one of the keys to optimal peak flow states. You've been doing this for a little while now. I'm sure you see people that have tried to do it. And this is, you know, one of the things I say is I can give, you know, two people the same information. One will go and make tens of millions of bucks with it. The other one will fuck it up 52 ways to Friday. And, you know, they blame the book. They'll blame the author. They'll blame the economy or, or, or something. And so oftentimes the information requires a certain type of person to be ready. Um, but from everything that you've seen, what do you see the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to living in an intentional way? So for me, there's, and I've definitely made this mistake as well myself, it's it's forcing things. So I love the Tao Te Ching and they have a concept called Wu Wei, which is translated almost like doing without force. It's thinking about chop wood with the grain, cut, cut um, chopping a knife uh, with a steak with the grain. And it's just easier. It's, it's like effortless. And intentionality because you're you're creating you're operating from a place of presence from love you're creating in the present moment it's allowing the universal flow to, to work with us and what people do is they feel like they need to work harder and they start going down this path and they come up against themselves and then they see it as a sign that it's not working so they stop the belief so that's definitely definitely one element and another thing is is actually Sometimes when you make changes, there's a, there's a natural resistance. There's, you have to sometimes go back through the pain in order to get to where you want. Like I, I'm a student of Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he talks about that as a lot. As you get closer to source, to start with, you have to go back through these, these periods of your life, which might be really challenging, these habitual patterns that you've created, that familiar that we become addicted to, but isn't actually serving us. So we can start thinking that we're regressing and we're getting worse, but actually you're just going through to get to the, to the great results. So there's an element of trust that we need to do and just persistence. That's what I say with intentionality. It's just, it's just daily. Like you take one thing from today, you're already a lot, living a life with intentionality. We, we're, we get so focused on the destination sometimes and we think it's such a hard transformation. It's like, oh, that whole intentionality thing, that's too much. I'm just reassuring you. It's not as far away as you think. One action step 
And then you build a little bit more confidence and then you go in the next step. And before you know it, it has this snowball effect and you just won't ever go back because it's just, it's wonderful. You start feeling the wonders of life. One of the things I see that can also get in the way of people, and you you mentioned it a few times already, is their ego. You know, we talk about you know everyone's everyone's got their their own definition for what an ego is, but I've heard you mention it a few times now. How do you see the ego? First of all, what do you define as the ego, and how do you see the ego interfering um, if it's been perhaps developed in a way that isn't supportive with the process of becoming more connected to intentional living? Mm, great question. So I actually have a different view on the ego from some people. I look at the ego in a weird way as your protector. Why is it there? If we didn't have an ego, we would be jumping off cliffs. We'd be thinking we can just fly, like just simple little things. There's a protection mechanism. But the problem with it is we've trained the ego to become too strong, too good at its job. It, it believes it is being successful if things don't change, if you stay alive. Even if you're miserable in this moment, it, would, it feels like it's doing its job because it's keeping you alive. And this is why it's so hard sometimes to break free of our ego because it just comes up and it's like, no, I'm, you're not going to do this, even though this might be so much better for you. So rather than fighting it, because when, when we resist against something, we just give it more strength, we start having a communion with this, start having a connection. And I just go, okay, thank you, ego, for protecting me but I know this is the right thing for me. And you can just back off a little bit, just back off. And, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to go guide this because I know it's going to be safe. And then we can start doing that. And it just starts loosening the strength of the ego. And before you know it, you can start making more and more decisions, which start serving you. So that's just something, a, a different play, because I see a lot of people trying to fight it. And I, I feel like that's not the way to do it. Like, let's just, let's work with it understand that it's a part of us because we don't want to reject a part of ourselves no and because I've, I've heard people say the ego is not your amigo and i'm like i completely disagree and i i'm of the same philosophy you are you know the ego is there to protect us it's just been trained in the wrong dojo and our job is to mm-hmm. you know give it a different type of training so it can protect us from the right stuff not the wrong stuff you know and start serving us the stuff that it's protecting us from because in some cases you know he just got fed the wrong information we all at some stage get you know fed the wrong information we did and we're a lot of social conditioning so we we think we have these we we think that we are consciously making these decisions and i can tell you we're not like i almost don't think we have an original thought in our body like it's all been conditioning from something we're reacting even that original thought that you think might be there it might have come from something you experienced before and now you're acting in a different way so understanding that just can freeze a little bit and i just always want people to ask themselves is like is this really my thought? Is this really my belief? And that exploration just gives you a little bit more freedom. It just loosens the grips of social conditioning. It's interesting when you start to listen to your repetitive thoughts and you start to ask, whose voice is this? You know, mm. what, what can actually come back? <clears throat> you know, something you've, you've said earlier um, in when it comes to making decisions is, and I really like it. Uh, I use a slightly different framing, but you know, are you, is this decision made out of love or is it made out of fear? And I think that's really helpful for a lot of people um, until you start maybe overlaying that into, you know, because one of the things I've learned is the more, the more emotion that people experience in a particular area of life, the more intellectually challenged they can be in that particular area of their life, myself included. You know, as emotion goes up, intelligence goes down and certain areas of life have more value than other areas. And so as a result, certain areas of life have the ability to trigger us more than others. 
love is one of those areas that for a lot of people, they really fucking struggle with nailing, you know, healthy dynamics, consistent, you know, dynamics. So when you start talking about living intentionally, how does that overflow into the context of a relationship outside of just the one, you know, we're experiencing and creating with self? Mm, I, I, I love that. It's a, it's a great question. So there is connotations with love and we've become addicted to the, the romantic story of love. But really when I, when I think about love, it's like, am I aligned with my, my true nature, my higher self? Is it, does it feel good inside of me? Um, or am I coming from a place of ego, a place of lack? So that's, that's the starting place. And then in, into relationships, it's, it's like, am I operating in a place where like I feel aligned to myself? Am I that love versus fear? A lot of people are in relationships because of fear. They're, they're like, I need to feel whole. And I believe this person's going to make me feel whole. That's, that's a fear-based decision. Or I'm only worthy if I'm with this person. A bunch of these different areas. And if we're doing that, they can't truly be fulfilling. And I, I definitely saw that in my life. I, I have lived a life of intentionality. But living a life with intentionality is not good enough if it's coming from a fear-based lack place. So I was making a lot of decisions my whole life because I felt abandoned as a child. And from a very young age, I started strategizing, visioning for the future of, if I do this, I'll feel better. And it set me off in an amazing course of action. It's how I built businesses. A lot of the things actually created the success that most people wanted. But one day I woke up in a a ski resort, big mansion in Beaver Creek in Colorado, skiing 100 days a year, financially free with a woman I loved. And then suddenly the hole got bigger because I had more time. I didn't have the excuse. I didn't have the excuse, well, once I get that, then, then maybe I'll feel better. I actually had achieved my vision, the, the vision for my life that I'd been working for for so long. But what I discovered was, was that it couldn't ever fulfill me because I was making those decisions from a place of lack, from a scarcity, from a fear-based environment. And that's when I had this aha moment. I was like, ah, it's got to be grounded in something special. It it can't just be, it can't be, you can't live an intentional life if it's not from that place of love. And that's how I changed my decision-making now. And what what happens is that you can get an, an enriched relationship. So in a relationship now, I go, do I need this? No. Do I want this? Yes. That's always a helpful thing for me. And it, it grounds me. If I feel like I'm needing something, I'm, I'm disconnecting from myself somehow. There's something which there's something I'm missing. And that's always a trigger to me to go, okay, where are you feeling off, off center here? Are you feeling unsafe? Are you feeling abandoned? What work do you need to do to pull you back in alignment? And when we do that, then we can come back to ourselves and then we can explore our relationship again and go, okay, what do I need to do to do different and make this a more enriched relationship rather than thinking that something's gone wrong in the relationship? Mm. Mate, we've covered a lot um, in a very short <laughs> period of time. One thing I am curious about is your is your documentary that you're involved with, with National Geographic, The Undercover Angel. How did that come about? Hey, it was one of those moments where I, I remember it quite vividly. I was sitting in bed, uh, which I don't ever do anymore, but I don't know why. I checked some emails in this time and an email came through and I thought it was to start with. I thought it was a, a spam or I thought it was someone trying to just 
find a way to get money from me. And I just went, I sat on it for a while and went, no, I'm, I'm going to reply. And it was National Geographic saying, we've been uh, following you for a while and we're doing this show and we would love for you to apply to, to be on it. We're looking for eight better factors from all around the world and we, we want someone from Australia and we'd love you to apply for it. So I was like, okay, this is curious. And I applied and I just sold a company at that time and I was looking to do something and, and I was planning to contribute some funds um, to, to a charitable organization anyway. And I went through the process and got selected. And it was a remarkable experience because I was a young, young entrepreneur and I, we didn't get told to where we were going until pretty much the day before. And the whole story was that you had to go in and you had to go undercover with your story. So you couldn't share your real story. I had to share that I was a, a teacher. They, they created stories that were, you know, that the, if you want to lie, you have to lie with truth. So <laughs> my, my, yeah. my lie was that I was a teacher, which I'm a qualified teacher. My name was Nick. My middle name is Nick. And I was going into communities to explore what it meant to be a young adult. And that was, that was the story. So that's why I had the film crew and everything. And I arrived in Bulgaria and still at that point, I thought this maybe was a scam. I thought when I arrived in Bulgaria, someone was going to be there and take my, my kidneys or whatever it was. Um, and I arrived, there was just an element of trust and it was an adventure. And I'll never forget, I was driving in, a, in the taxi and I just looked over in Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria. And I was like, what is, what's over there? Like, what are all those slums? And then the driver's like, oh, that's, that's Fakuteta. You don't want to go there. It's where the gypsies are. It's very dangerous. And I was fascinated. I was like, here was a capital city of a Euro country. And they had that there. Very similar to like Cape Town in, in South yeah, Africa. Yeah. And part of the magic of this documentary was, was that I sort of got creative rights to lead things. If I, because it was a live experience. If I wanted to say I wanted to go explore this, then they had all these fixes to make it happen. And I said, I want to explore that area. I want to see if there's something I can do to help there. And I connected with an organization which already had a presence in there with a little um, early, um, it was like a childhood center. And I managed to go in, connect with the local leaders, which was powerful. And I was pretty much, they've never had a, a Westerner in there, not even Bulgarians going to this community because um, beautiful people, just a, a lot of challenges in there. And I went for a few weeks and really got to know them and explore things and then found what their problems was. And I, I could see a lot of it was about education. And I thought this was a way to, to way I could contribute. And it was, it was remarkable. It was so rewarding. What I loved, there was a couple of things I loved most about it. One was this feeling of being in an incredible team. Like this team in this Nat Geo team was just amazing. Everyone had their role and we just worked so well together. It was an A player team. And I was like, even though I was sort of the talent, I worked for them. I wanted to show up and deliver more and work till two in the morning to get the, the outcome for them, which was just a wonderful feeling. And I've been trying to recreate that in my life since. And then the other side was, was just seeing the impact that I had, I'll never forget, there was this moment where I did the big reveal that I like revealed the story of who I really was, this young entrepreneur and made some money and I was here to do this for them and I built, bought this house for them and, and I had all these gifts 
And what was funny was they didn't actually hear in the translation anything about the monetary side. They didn't hear a single thing about it. Wow. All they heard was that I was just this person here to share their story. And they could not believe that a like young white Australian guy from the other side of the country came over and actually cared about them. And that's when I realized that's the true gift in life is just caring and connecting with people. Uh, It's just wonderful. And it just reminded me in life, like you don't have to give in monetary ways. You, You don't have to do that. Just being a light and just being open and, and, and luminescing your light that's the greatest gift you can give. And that's what I really hope with everyone with intentionality is it's just a pathway to, to be in your brilliance, to share that. Because when we do that, we can really impact others and we can lift their fields and that can then lift a lot of other people's fields. Awesome work, Finian. Where can people find out about you, mate? So the best way would be to go to uh, a link called finiankelly.com forward podcast there's some awesome free tools that i've created for your audience fantastic. and then you'll see everything else there fantastic ladies and gentlemen finney and kelly mate thank you so much for sharing today it's been amazing thanks so much Kerwin. loved it thank you very much ladies and gentlemen finney and kelly and this has been unstoppable This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive, but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com